and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall, Digital Director at EW. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, EW's Awardist columnist, David Canfield. Hello, Shana. Hello. Thank you for being here. Uh, this podcast is part of our comprehensive awards coverage in the magazine, online. Last year, last week, feels like last year already. <laughs> it's been a long year. Uh, we're getting there. Yeah. Last week before the Thanksgiving holiday, we talked to Robert Pattinson, or rather our colleague Clark talked yes. to Robert Pattinson. <laughs> um, and we went through some of the nominations for the Independent Spirit Awards, uh, some Grammy nominations that mm -hmm. might or might not impact things, some other movies that we had recently seen. Uh, this week, uh, in lieu of me and David talking as much, we are mostly going to hear from two amazing female filmmakers yeah. whose work we have really enjoyed and have had the opportunity to talk to and have, I think, some similar stories to tell in some ways and some very, very distinct stories. Yes. Um, so less of us, more of Hustlers director Lorraine Scafaria, who's outstanding, and Clarissa and I spoke to uh, about working with Jennifer Lopez, about the struggle to get that movie made, about yeah. all of the men in Hollywood who were offered to direct that film that she wrote the screenplay for before they finally decided that, yes, she would be the best person to do it. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of last laugh of topping the box office so spectacularly in a way that I hope really means that she gets a tremendous amount of choice going forward from here yeah, in her career. Yeah, so too. Yeah, she's outstanding. And then uh, Clarissa, I, we did that interview with, um, I did that interview with Clarissa Cruz, who's our features editor, and Clarissa also spoke to Lulu Wang, who directed The Farewell, starring Aquafina, along with Xu Zhen Zhao. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll hear that as well. David, anything you want to say about Hustlers before we hear from Lorraine? Uh, I think this is a very special episode because we could once again have a best director category that is all men and here we are outlining two extraordinary female directorial efforts from this year Lorraine Scafaria just nails Hustlers it is fun and fast and smart and I love the movie I love the performances she gets out of it I love pretty much everything about it so it's I'm, so great it's so great so I'm gonna be so mad if neither of these women gets nominated. Well, Lorene did get in for the Independent Spirit Awards, which was, yeah. you know, I think she's definitely a long shot for a Best Director nomination, but she could get in for Adapted Screenplay as well. So she's one to not forget uh, in this conversation. Yeah. Um, all right, let's hear, uh, you'll hear everything else I have to say about us <laughs> in this interview, I think, um, with Lorene. Welcome to the Awardist. Thank you, Lorraine, for joining us. Thank you so much. <laughs> and also we have uh, Clarissa Cruz, who is EW Features Editor and who manages our movie's coverage. Clarissa and I saw this movie together actually in like oh, July. Months ago. Oh, wow. uh, it was very early, ahead of TIFF. We, I, I can tell you of all of the film, we saw many films in that period, and it was the one that we were like, wait, what, what are we seeing? What's happening? And were so completely blown away by. We like we loved. Came out, like it was we like one of those moments it. where we're like the the lights came up and we were like, what just what happened? just happened? <laughs> What's yeah. going on? This kind of changes a lot of what our plans were. Mm -hmm. We were so excited to have um, Jennifer and Constance on our digital cover, which was like a moment born in that room at that moment, right after seeing the film. Oh, it was great. like we have to make this happen. Yeah. We were texting um, each other all night. After. <laughs> like uh, there was us and another co coworker, and we were just like and then this and then this and how awesome was this like we were <laughs> so super excited <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh tell us like what you were so involved with this project obviously as the writer as the director you were a co-producer on the film what was the very beginning of that process um quickly just to sort of give us a sense like set the scene where did that come like, to your life i'm reeling that you guys saw it in july because you would have seen <laughs> an unfinished version of it which it is was like still great that's all i'm thinking about while you're talking Oh, <laughs> I actually watched it again. Okay, that's night. good. I, I that's we good. saw. I took. A, we went with a big. I went with a big group of friends when it came out. I was like, you guys, we all. I want to go see this in a theater. Wait, with so a bunch did you of see people. it three times now? Because you saw now it I have. Yeah, because I wanted to watch it last night so I could. <laughs> oh, that's it's been a little while. I wanted to remember. Shana right. is well steeped in hustlers. Oh, you know, yeah, <laughs> much more recently than I have. Yeah. I it holds up. Okay, that's good. Good, good. good to know. It's still good. It's good to know. Um, so don't worry about that. We we 
saw it, we were excited. But tell us, like, where where was the like what was the first meeting you had about this? I was I, I was sent the article in the summer of 2016, so I didn't read it when it went viral. <laughs> I missed it. Um, but it was sent to me by the producers and the studio at the time, and um, and it floored me. I was I was probably like six paragraphs in when I thought I have to make this. And it was a, just a writing assignment at the time. So um, they were just curious what my take would be, how I would adapt it to the screen. And um, so basically just to write a pitch, not even to necessarily. Yeah, just to go in and give yeah. them my pitch of, of, of how I would, yeah, how I would realize it. And, um, and so I, you know, kind of brainstormed like crazy, because I mean, I just wanted it so bad. And I knew that my career didn't necessarily set me up for it in a way. Um, so uh, it was just a, like a genre and a world that was very different from anything I had done. So um, I went in and gave my gave my pitch and, and included the journalist who wrote the article in the very first pitch. I always felt like that was a, the, the sort of structure of the story. It felt like a very important part of it. I was equally compelled by her reporting and the fact that she was sitting there with these two women who formed this quote, business, <laughs> or, you know, uh, business in this friendship, and then was interviewing them separately. So that was interesting to me, and, and the two of them sitting across from each other. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a writing assignment. And Is there anything from that sort of initial pitch that you felt like you were able to hold all the way through, or anything that turned out to be very different from where you ended up? All my notes from it that I still have are it's weird. I mean, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful to the n enormous amount of people that it took to, to realize that, obviously. But um, but to, to have that be intact kind of blew my mind. It, I had said I thought it was an event movie. I thought that it, it was the kind of movie that people would go to the theaters and see. Um, and not just because it was this, like, sort of salacious world and the story that people could, you know, just just be entertained by. I thought there was a lot more to it, but I, but I thought there's something incredibly relatable here. This this friendship story, this relationship between these two women that are not totally equals when they meet and have very different relationships with their bodies and with their jobs. Um, I don't know. I was I just I was drawn to that idea and um, this world that we think we've seen a lot of, but in, you know, in every movie and TV show ever. <laughs> it's been a strip club. Um, and so few movies told from their point of view. And um, I don't know, for me, writing is always an exercise in empathy. So I was really interested in taking characters that, and a world that felt misunderstood. And, and, and then this crime that took place and, and where they went that feels really hard to understand for people. Um, I was interested in telling that fuller story. But um, I don't know. I grew up in New Jersey. I I had friends who were strippers. I was at high school and college in the 90s. So that was my era. And to be transported back in this, when I read this article, when I read Jessica Pressler's writing of it too, and how she talked about how like third wave feminism collided with Howard Stern. And it was like, I really was transported back to what that was like to grow up in the 90s and, you know, East Coast, shadows of New York, and then lived in the city from 99 to 2001, had friends who stripped, and yeah, and paying off student loans, and I thought about it too, and, you know, I had headshots, and <laughs> I was like, you know, acting at the You're time, acting, and it felt right. very much like performance, and so, um, I don't know, it just wasn't that strange of a world to me. I certainly never judged it. I certainly never had, you know, I, I didn't have full knowledge of it, but I didn't judge it. And and I also then worked at a boiler room in the 90s in like off, off you Wall Street. You saw the quiet side of that. Yes, I, I like answered phones and like was a secretary and like watched these guys. And it was just a, a room full of phones that, you know, attached to these, guys who were just selling bad stocks to old people and um and I don't know it felt very you know it was like something normal about it there yeah. was something very normal about it because our value system has normalized all of that very much obviously and just 
you know, valuing women for their beauty and their bodies, for sex or motherhood, and men for their money and success and power. And that was all very intriguing to me that if we want to talk about how did we get here, you know, this was again the summer 2016, so it wasn't even here here yet. It was just somewhere. But uh, how did we get here? I was like, we can just kind of look over our shoulders. I mean, because then I moved to LA 2001 and was, um, you know, operating in these rooms uh, mm-hmm. and, and it threw out the aughts <laughs> as a baby writer. And, uh, and when you, so you had directed before, obviously, mm-hmm. when you came in to do that first pitch to be a writer, were you on any level thinking, I also would love to figure out how to direct something like this? Yeah. Like, was, was there, yeah. did you talk about that in the room then? Or did, were you like, we'll get to that I, later? I kept trying to talk about it, but nobody wanted to talk about it yet. And so I, my then an agent was very confused as to why I would want to, you know, just write something. And I was like, I have to tell this story. And if I have any uh, grand designs of, of, of directing it, the only way that's going to happen is by writing it and and trying to write my way into the director's chair, which I've done before. So that was that was sort of my my long shot hope. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about that a little yeah, bit? I, yeah. I'm really, I was, uh, Chris and I were talking about this earlier, but like Greta Gerwig has a pretty similar story around Little Women that, you know, she was mm-hmm. hired to just write that story and then had to spend a significant amount of the time after and while she was writing it, trying to convince people to let her direct it. This right. after she has already right. been an acclaimed director. So that's her host Lady Bird that that yes, was yes. happening. So it's, 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 a, it's a frustrating, if perhaps not entirely surprising to any of a situation to watch women be in where it's instead of being able to come in and be like, I'm going to write this, I'm going to direct this, I'm, I know exactly how I want it to go, I want to be a producer, I want to make this happen. Instead, there's this like incremental, like, let me prove myself yeah. part of it. Yeah. But how, I guess, how did you approach that? Or like, how did you think about oh. how am I going to make the, like, that you have to make a compelling case, but you're like, I am the director for this film. Here's how I'm going to show you. You know, it was like the summer 2016 wasn't just like pre, <laughs> you know, everything. For me, it was um, uh, the Medler had come out in the spring and um, was just obviously not, you know, a big hit. And and um, and that's that. I mean, I think money talks. And so, so... I was at the time really just uh, grateful for like the story that I would hopefully get to tell and then the kinds of people that I was working with and feeling like they're incredible they'll find someone great for this I'll keep raising my hand but like you know who knows what's going to happen and the the reaction was like let's go to Scorsese with it so I was fine with that <laughs> genuinely I was like I was like that's pretty amazing you know um obviously I still would have loved to do it but I and I was saying that out loud to Adam McKay who's a producer of it who I think when it was a writing assignment I wasn't sure if maybe he was going to direct it as well and I was Mm -hmm. a fan so um so I wasn't trying to like ruffle any feathers even though I was like we'll get there soon (laughs) I'll be I'll be ruffling you very soon um but then once it was like Scorsese and I said to McKay like you know you know I want to do this and and he was so supportive uh which I was very you know surprised and grateful um uh but I said um you know he uh, I said like well you know I hope Scorsese does it and he said I hope Scorsese passes because he knew how much I wanted it what a great piece of that support was a very very yeah. supportive thing to say but it didn't <laughs> there was still about 10 more months yeah. after Scorsese Oof. I'm sure oh. never read it or even heard of it um but after he passed and and um that then it was sent to you know kind of a lot of a lot of people including like a friend of mine who sent like an angry letter back oh. <laughs> there were a lot of um that must have been I'm like literally clutching yeah. my stuff like I just feel pain it was what a, a lot. yeah, yeah. And I, I just refused to take any other directing job because I didn't want to take myself out of the running I thought like no you should have to you should have to reject me <laughs> I'm like, not I'm not walking make away I'm not gonna be what busy, finally you know? like what made it um, I don't know. So, I mean, those, those 10 months, 11 months, whatever that could have been 10 months, um, uh, so much was going on in the world. So I wasn't just trying to 
get myself the directing job. I was trying to green light the movie because this maybe surprisingly was a very, very hard movie to get made. When did JLo come on? Like in that process, um, was no. it hard to get green lit even with her? Well, she wasn't on board until I was on board to direct because she okay. was the person I wanted to be in it. Um, so there was no cast. They were really trying to just find the director to, to pair with me. And, um, and so... Uh, I was just begging to be in the room. I was just begging for the meeting. So all that time I was editing um, footage of, uh, like kind of proof of concept, like like strippers, strip teases to Chopin, um, different sort of sequences in the movie I was editing at home and then worked on a sizzle reel with so my editor. editing versions of it even without any footage having been shot right just with found footage yeah yeah exactly yeah. using like other movies or music videos and um and piecing things together to just try to mm -hmm. prove to myself that there was something there um and then I worked on a sizzle reel same kind of thing um with my editor Kayla Emter who worked on the meddler who I think through this process, you know, also she got me the job and then I got her the job. So that was, or she got herself the job really yeah. by, by cutting this thing together. Um, and it's that became so the tightly presentation. edited. Oh, I yeah. was watching it again. I was just like every single moment of that is so economic and like so just exactly all you need and everything you need is in those moments. Oh, it was thanks. really impressive. Yeah, I love yeah. working with her and we, I mean, we just have a great relationship. I'll never... I'll never not work with her. Um, but this was that moment to like really make this presentation and 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 really try to get this job. And so uh, the pressure was on this little two minute, you know, kind of mini trailer of it. and And then I had all these um, photos of of uh, like a collage of photos of um, different movies with kind of uh, girl gangs and 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 then images of strippers in locker rooms and and all of them mixed together to say kind of like what's the difference because I could tell the the stigma that's uh, you know uh, around what these women do for a living was there for the characters as well it, it really did feel like a judgment of not just where they ended up but where they started from and so um, so yeah, that was the big meeting. I, I gave my presentation. I got the job in the room. I think I was mad about it for like, you know, I kind of was like, well, thanks. Like, you know, gracious winner at all. Um, Understandably. I don't know. It was, yeah. it was a rough, that was a rough time, yeah. but I, I was still obviously got it done. incredibly grateful. <laughs> got it done. Then it was about casting. Then I said like, uh, it, Ramon is Jennifer Lopez. There's no other choice. And and then we went to her producing partner, Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas, who fortunately loved it, gave it to Jennifer, who fortunately loved it. We met, hit it off, and then started the process of casting. And, and then the movie fell apart, like, a couple right. of times, once before my 40th birthday, so that was a, a treat, <laughs> a real one-two. <laughs> and then, uh, and then again, like you know, the studio let it go. We had to find a new home. We brought the project around town the the week of the Kavanaugh hearing, so that was. Uh, Did that help or hurt? Oh my God! It was. I mean, <laughs> just like everything was terrible. No, it was, it was so hard awful. It was, I mean, husbands and wives weren't speaking to each other, right. so that was a really bad time to bring this project oh. around. And then, fortunately, one room, one man, Adam Vogelson, STX, like they really were the only people who, and you know, he was really the only person who got it. And so, um, so then you know, went from there. And then the script. I rewrote it a number of times to just kind of smash it on the floor and start over and um, really hone in on what I wanted it to be about after this whole process, you know, and I was so scared of committing to anybody. So I was kind of trying to take notes, but do it in a vacuum. And then um, by the time I handed in the script, it was mid-January of this year. And I thought, this is just over, you know, after this whole process. I, I really was sad, like handing it in, kind of saying goodbye to it. And and then they greenlit it 24 hours later, and then I was in, wow. back in New York for the first time since 2001. How long did you have between then and when you started shooting? Um, uh, it was a seven-week prep, and then it was a 29-day shoot, 
Mm-hmm. And then like an eight-week director's cut, which I think is illegal. <laughs> I was supposed to sign so, something, but I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> and they have to do the stripper boot camp before that. They did do right? stripper boot camp. Right, let's talk about the Jennifer Lopez of it <laughs> yeah. all. Like, because I think obviously she is a pop, like a pop culture phenomenon in and of herself, yes. right? Um, and I think for any of us who sort of like grew up and watching her come into that place. But, you know, I was certainly a fan of hers on screen going back to, I think like most people, obviously Selena, but also out of sight. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we've heard a lot of people say coming out of this movie, this is the best performance we've seen from her since out of sight. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about directing her, I guess, or what was your approach or it's not to say, I mean, I think her other movies she made in between there are great. They're fun. They're light. Like she's very, like she's obviously hugely likable and you love cheering her on in her rom-com challenges that she faces in those (laughs) other movies, but it is different than the performance that I think we saw either in that older movie or in this. What's your take on that, I guess, and how did, just, how did we get there? I've just been a fan of hers for so long, specifically as an actor, and, and I love those performances. I love those movies. Out of Sight, like, changed my life and really did. Um, um, and, uh, you know, she just has chops. She has, like, an authenticity. She has all these qualities that Ramona requires and... and, and um, it's to be warm and maternal and tough and cool. Like dancing was a bonus. That was such a bonus. It was not like the intention because I, I think in the script I wrote, Ramona does one final flourish. Like I didn't even, <laughs> that was, that was not a final flourish. <laughs> flourish. So I did not even expect that of her, to be honest. And, and was just so excited, of course, that she'd be comfortable in her own skin. And that she has such a, I mean, she has such, she's a star. I think she is a, absolutely, you know, uh, a movie star but with such weight to her and to see her in something so dangerous was really exciting for me that was I, I, I just read her on the page honestly I didn't write it for her but I like opened it back up and she was just there and I thought like oh my gosh I don't know who else could do this and and um and the movie kind of evolved in that way because it, it is like Destiny's movie about Ramona. It is like about Ramona. Mm-hmm. And in a way, like, that's why it's Jennifer Lopez. That's why it's someone who's larger than life and it feels like the sun just walked in the room. And she and was she larger than life at that time, too. Like, yeah. during that era, she was so... Uh, the idea The ideal for, yeah, for, yeah. That, for that era was... So it was just perfect casting. Yeah. That that's why I was so excited that she was like a queen of the aughts and a queen in New York City and and in a way has been known for her body and, and a body part even for, for mm-hmm. so long. And, um, and she, she owned it and built an empire and built a brand and, and branched out and did all these things that no one ever thought she could do. Like, I still view her as this underdog, which I know is hard to believe because she's obviously got it all, but like, but I, I feel like people have underestimated her. So I was really interested in, in seeing someone who's been underestimated in this position too. And, and so I enjoy it on so many levels, obviously, yeah. seeing her as Ramona. But um, When you were either in the shooting of that performance or the sort of cutting it together afterwards, did you have a moment when you were like, people are going to lose their minds about her and that yeah. she would become so quickly, really. I mean, when we were in Toronto, like we had seen it, but like watching people come out of those early screenings and really like be like, we, we should be having a serious conversation about Jennifer Lopez as an actor in an awards conversation. Yeah. Like, did you have a moment where you were like, oh God, people are gonna lose their mind here? I or? mean, I very, it was like, it was part of my whole thought about her was just like, it's going to be so exciting to see her in a different way and see her in something dangerous. So for me, the, the club, um, the club wasn't until the end of the shoot. Um, that was like our last week really. And like, so the rooftop scene, that was kind of the last night. And so all of that like was building to that. Mm. But there's a scene in the diner where Ramona convinces destiny of why they should do this and cross these lines um and we're i was so excited to be like right in there with them you know it's as tight as we get on their faces and and we're really like inside the ship is what we'd call it but we're like in the table with them and she is so electric in this scene and and like 
makes such a compelling argument that I that it, it actually surprised even me when I'd watch it with audiences and hear them applaud at that moment because it's like there was right. when I went Wild. to see it in a yeah. theater with people like opening weekend there was a lot of enthusiasm all the pretty much all the way through like, yeah it takes a really long time for the audience to maybe start to ask if it's a bad idea yeah yeah <laughs> they're right. like yeah go, go, girl. Like, people were applauding people were like yeah. this is great go get it I was hoping like, they'd okay have to check themselves at some point about you know at what bit. point yeah. yeah but I thought I mean you know Jennifer Lopez invites you in her coat you're gonna yeah. follow her forever if and that's just what you wrote in the script like she opens up her coat yeah but it was so much more when it was actually on screen it's her though she really I mean it really I and I loved working with her I described it somewhere as like going to the gym with her or something mm -hmm. because it did feel like you're just with an athlete and at the bench press and I, I get to like walk over and put more weight on the bar and then walk away and, like, no <laughs> and then watch her, you know, like, like lift this thing over and over. And so that, that's what it did feel like. It was, it was fun for me. I couldn't wait to see Ramona show up every day. It was not Jennifer Lopez as much as it could also be like a, you know, a nod to Jennifer Lopez. It was like, she just really disappeared in that. And then her chemistry with Constance was so beautiful and real. Mm -hmm. um, the, the shoot that you guys did captured that beautifully. That was, that was all, like I literally, I, I will tell you, I even said this to my wife last night while we were watching this movie, like, this movie was one of those movies where there's such a love story between mm -hmm. them. It's so intense. It's also so, just frankly, really hot. Like, they are so sexy yeah. and so enjoyable. And you have this moment where I was like, <laughs> it's just like, I thought I knew exactly how queer I was. And now I'm watching this and I'm having a little bit of a moment where I'm like, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't. This is like still next level. Yeah. But the, the way, like, just trying to find... These are two women who, throughout the course of the movie, you see their characters just make choices for each other. Yeah. Like, to take care of each other over and over again. Yeah. And that love story, like, really grounds it. And they were like that when we shot them, too. It was just And it's something moment. you don't see yeah. in movies very often. No. You know? It's, it's just something that's rare. Because if there is some kind of love relationship, it's usually you know, romantic or, yeah. and, or more conventional. And this was just, this is something that most people would like to have in their lives. And it's a, it's a great thing about female friendship, but it's not usually the center of a movie. Yeah. And it is, a, you know, it's a love story that can't last forever, right. you know, and, right. it's, and it can't last. So there's something very, you know, beautiful and unrequited, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think Destiny's loneliness and isolation when we meet her and Ramona's, uh, you know, invitation and certainly this maternal relationship that, you and know. It's, it's like, it doesn't feel like there's an angle, right? It do, you don't have that sense from that first scene when they're on the rooftop with the coat that like Ramona's thinking, and what can I get out of this? Like, mm. She's just sort of like, I have this to give and and this kind of extent, like it doesn't feel super transactional in that way. No, it's just who she is. Yeah. And I also think it's what women, uh, why our friendships run deep and, and, you know, can sometimes, I mean, sisters fight, you know? <laughs> and, um, but I think that intimacy, that immediate intimacy is something that women women can really have with each other that you, um, that here's destiny has had this physical contact with these men and these strangers and certainly is close with her grandma even though she doesn't know what she does for a living um, I don't know you I know when I met like my closest friends it's like how quickly were we talking about <laughs> like how quickly were we crossing boundaries <laughs> and saying things right. and going like oh you must you must just be my new best friend or I wouldn't be saying this it's, yeah uh, I don't know and you can do it with strangers certainly and you see someone crying in a parking garage we're gonna run over and I don't know so to me it was always that but Ramona also you know is that person and and um is at that place in her life. I, it meant so much to me when Cardi saw the movie because her, um, she hadn't seen it for a minute and, and when she watched it, her reaction was so beautiful because she was crying and, um, and very moved by the memories of the women in her life at that point. And that was, that was so mm. meaningful to me because obviously it's a story about a lot of things and it takes a lot of turns and it's, you know, entertainment, I guess. But, um, but I'm just, that was, I was glad that at least if nothing else, those relationships that, um, that we've, I mean, you know, you kind of have when you're a preteen to any age that, that you, someone can like 
save your life or, or ruin your life or, you know, a little well, of both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what has it been like, uh, just sort of as we wrap up, this is obviously a movie that had a huge commercial appeal. People were excited to go see it in, the, in you know, out in the theaters, it hasn't even come to home release mm. yet or digital. But now that you're in the sort of award season of it all, how is that for you? How it was like being in <laughs> in you know? I imagine you are you are being brunched and wined and dined at various <laughs> of these events because this is how it goes here in LA, right? And it's nice. How is that? Uh, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a mingler. <laughs> I'm trying to be. I um, I love people. I'm just a little shy. So like, it's like uh, I'm a shy extra. It's kind of the worst thing to be. So, like, I genuinely need people to survive. But I will, you know, leave here wondering about 10 things that I said, and it'll just rattle around. That's just who I am. So um, this is a weird part of the process for me. But how lucky I feel to be part of the conversation, of the movie be a part of the conversation, of Jennifer or, like, uh, you know, and any, any sort of member of my team. I mean, it's that's incredible. I'm... I'm I just loved working on this. This was like a true labor of love, and and um, and you know I'm so grateful to have shared it with people that that to go and see it in theaters and see all different kinds of people having reactions to it was was genuinely the that was my favorite moment. <laughs> that was the highlight. Um, this is like gravy. I mean, this is crazy. This is this is beyond my obviously beyond my wildest dreams. So incredibly lucky yeah well so awesome we're so happy for you oh thank you it's a great movie it yeah it's a great, it's well, a it great was smart movie. it yeah. was it was just different and i felt like um glad that all of those pieces finally came together and oh, kept at it mm -hmm. thanks so much uh, well just like on a side note i did at the same time that you're you know the time period that you were talking about in early 2000s and 90s like in mm. new york I was working on my master's thesis, which was about strip clubs. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And so Amazing. I was I was visiting strip clubs, and sort of um, the the angle was um, power dynamics, you know, uh, with with strippers and customers. And um, I just thought that you got it so right because you visit these places, and it's like yeah, everything's dripping sex, right? But it's not about sex; it's about mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think you capture that really well, especially in the scenes in like the locker room and in the in the strip clubs. I mean, I feel like that was that was something that people don't expect mm -hmm. when they go to places like this yeah. or watch a movie about. Places well, because like usually your average like the like there's not very much nudity in, in this film, right? It's, it's no. there's very in little. There. It's like there's a little bit. It's not like it's not like you know, no one can ever show any breast at all. But mm. in, like, I feel like every other movie uh, that involves literally a scene or television show, the scene, like the strip club scene, mm -hmm. is like the excuse slash moment when yeah. all of a sudden there's all this nudity. And it's like, right. it's not necessary. It's like, why are these two people having a conversation in a strip club? Is it really necessary to the plot? Or is yeah. it just like a good opportunity for us right. to make this a spicier movie? That was just it with this. I was like, I'm not ashamed of it. So I mean, I like I didn't want there to be any shame wrapped yeah. up in it. I certainly don't cast by saying who's willing to do the most nudity. <laughs> You've got the that part. Wasn't, that wasn't the um, yeah. yeah. There's there's mo the most nudity in the movie is probably in the locker room because that that's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Um, that's where the girls are changing, and I like to see how mundane it can be as much as anything else. But a scene like yeah, Ramona's big dance. I mean, that was meant to sh highlight the power and control I mean certainly the, the athleticism of it and the, the strength that it takes but really the, the power the power and um, we called it like 50 foot woman gaze you know we were we were really excited to to uh, let Ramona be in control you know take that theme of control and apply it to the camera and, and let Ramona tell us where it goes what we see when we cut so we certainly have like like you said, like incredibly sexy scenes, and um, but I I think that was how we you know saw it differently anyway. Was was there's there was no shame to it, but there also wasn't that wasn't the point of it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, congratulations. Best of best of luck through the rest of this um, craziness that comes Thanks. after it. Um, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks thank you. so much. Thanks again to Clarissa for joining us for that interview and to Lorraine for taking the time to come and talk with us about a film that 
we've enjoyed so much. Um, and I think she was such a powerhouse of a, a, a producer, a director, a writer, um, just manifested that film into existence and into a very powerful performance, um, both on screen and at the box office, because let's be mm -hmm. honest, that's how a woman director especially gets to be sure she gets to make another movie. Yep. Uh, so Still. <laughs> good, good for her. Uh, fingers crossed that that gets some further recognition. Mm -hmm. Another writer-director who did this mostly on her own was Lulu Wang for The Farewell. Uh, and Clarissa Cruz spoke with her and Xuxin Zhao, who is in the hunt for Best Supporting Actress, about the making of that very beautiful movie. Uh, here's our interview with them. We are here with Lulu Wang and Xiao Zhizheng from The Farewell, one of my favorite movies this year. I really, really loved it. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Clarissa Cruz. I'm the Features Editor at Entertainment Weekly, and I oversee our movie's coverage. Um, tell me, my first question is for you, Lulu. I'm, Tell me about the journey to get this film made, because it was not a smooth one. Um, can you just start from the beginning and tell us how it happened? Yeah, I started pitching the story. Uh, well, it happened to me in my real life, and then I realized that I wanted to make it as a film, and so I took it some, to some different producers and w was pitching it and had written drafts of a, a script, um, but faced a lot of um, roadblocks because American producers um, didn't really see it as an American film. They s saw it as, uh, you know, my big fat Chinese wedding kind of film, but they wanted the characters to all speak English and, uh, and not necessarily even set it in China. And um, so then I pitched a, a Chinese producer thinking, well, maybe it's a Chinese film. But the Chinese producer said, but, you know, your main character is too westernized. Her perspective is not a perspective that the Chinese audience is going to relate to. So the only way to make it a Chinese film is if you introduce a Chinese local character and really set it through that person's eyes. Um, and so then, you know, I kind of realized that this story happens to be a story that's not really fully Chinese and not American in the way that we have known American, you know, traditionally. And so why can't we have an American film that is, you know, 80% subtitled, um, but the char main character is American? Because that is my actual experience. Um, and so uh, once I realized that, and I sort of set the project aside because no one was going to let me make that version. And it wasn't until I met a producer from This American Life, Neil, uh, Neil Drumming. Who used to work at EW. He did, he that's did. right. Yeah, we used to of work course. together. So, yeah, we go back. So Yeah. yeah. So um, what was so amazing, and you know, he's one of the people I'm most grateful for because he approached me having seen one of my short films at a film festival. That was Touch. At, yep, Touch um, in New York City. And he just happened to be there because he himself is a filmmaker and um, saw the film and, and then came up to me and said, you know, what are the other stories that you want to tell that no one is letting you tell? You know, because I love your voice. And um, it, it was just such a small but such a meaningful question um, because... He's good at that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I feel like that's a question that producers don't necessarily do enough of. They wait until there's a hot property that everybody's fighting over and talking about. They're not necessarily going to voices, um, new voices, and saying, like, let me cultivate a relationship and see what your uh, what are the stories that you're telling that might not fit in the traditional model. Um, and so I said, well, as a matter of fact, Neil, I have the story about my grandma, and that's how it started, and we ended up doing the story for This American Life. Can you tell, for, for the listeners who haven't um, seen the movie or don't know about it, can you give sort of a, a, an explanation of what it's about? Yes. Um, the Farewell is loosely based on my own life and my own family about a Chinese-American woman whose grandmother is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in China. And um, Billy, the main character, lives in New York City. Played by Aquafina. Played by Aquafina. Uh, and she's very, very close with her grandmother. But her, So when her parents tell her that her grandma's dying, she's devastated. But they also tell her that the doctors in China um, have told the family, but 
but that her grandma herself doesn't know and that the family has decided not to tell grandma. And so even though she has three months left to live, uh, they decide it would be better not to scare her and depress her and instead just, you know, all go to see her and they do it under the guise of uh, a wedding. They basically force Billy's cousin to marry his uh, newish girlfriend. You know, they've only been together a few months, but they go, well, great, let's use this as an excuse uh, to have a wedding and that way Nai Nai won't be suspicious um, when everybody comes rushing back to China to see her. Nai Nai is the Chinese term for paternal gram, uh, grandmother, so the, the grandma on the father's side. And she plays Nai Nai. And uh, Zhao Shujin plays Nai Nai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's wonderful in the role. Um, can, can, you tell, can you tell me how you became involved in this project and how you met Lulu? Can I also translate for just kind of briefly what just happened here? Mm -hmm. Is that what happened? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, when you asked the director about the director before, the director You said about Nanai. I'm not so familiar with how you know, the movie got funded, you know, the pre-production, what happened there, but what I do remember is talking to Lula on the phone when she pitched the film to me, because at the time I didn't really know anything about the movie, but she told me that this was her own personal story, and I was deeply, deeply touched uh, when she told me what happened in her life and the story that was going to go into the farewell. And I cried, I was deeply moved, and it was at the time I just agreed to, to the film without any conditions really because I was so deeply moved by what she had to share. And then uh, you know, after the script uh, was completed, after I received it, uh, I knew that this was a true story. And what really touched me about it was the sense of familial bond, this idea of love that unite the family. And uh, I think for me as an actor, I think I have a responsibility to portray these ideals and these themes in a very effective manner. Uh, and during the production process while we were filming, uh, Lulu being a very good director, she would very tenderly remind me that, oh, you know, you should really copy and uh, really think about my grandmother, how she would act and how she would behave and so on. So that's a constant reminder that I had. And throughout that process, I also got to know and understand uh, Lulu, the director's love for her grandmother. And that really touched me very deeply. That's what touched me so deeply about it too. I'm like getting teary. Just I didn't even know what you're saying, and I was getting teary because I, it reminded me of my grandmother and just that granddaughter grandmother bond. I mean, is that is that just what drove you to to write this? Yes. Um, well. I yeah, it was the love for my grandma, but I, I think it was also just the absurdity of the situation. And, and, in, and in many ways, like, I felt like my love wasn't being honored within the family because it was sort of just like, all right, all right, get over your feelings, which can be kind of a very Chinese thing. Like, let's just be practical. Everyone dies at some point. Like, you know, like, we got to deal with it. And um, And as an American, I was like, but we must have space for catharsis and for processing grief and all of this stuff. And there wasn't that space because everyone was so busy trying to figure out this trip and how to, you know, say goodbye. And, and, and in a way, in a way, it was almost like trying to avoid emotions, right? And both, you know, metaphorically in life when we try to avoid emotions, um, but also in the story, literally having to avoid it so that grandma doesn't find out that she's dying. And um, and so I thought that was absurd and funny and sad all at the same time. And I wanted to explore the intersection of all of those feelings. And by the way, it was so difficult to get Zhao because we couldn't afford her. Um, at, and at least, you know, my producers knowing what, you know, how busy she is in China and, and you know Chinese actors are very expensive right? they're they're when they're successful mm -hmm. they are working all the time and this is an American indie film so trying to cross that cultural gap to kind of explain and so I said look she's the one I want and actually I cried on the phone when I was talking to her because it just meant so much to me because we had been looking for so long and I knew that I didn't want anybody else and I was so scared that um, we wouldn't be able to get her because of schedule or budget. Right. Well, you actually met the real Nai Nai. Um, can you tell me a little bit of what that meeting was like? Well, obviously, going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, I, from communicating with Lulu, getting re ready for this movie, I could really sense uh, her deep love uh, for the grandma. 
And for me, when I was uh, spending time with her grandma, so she indeed allowed me to meet her, so I got to spend time with uh, the real grandma. And at the time, I, my perception was that she was a very tender, very kind, uh, very loving person, but also a very strong and fierce person at the same time. And there's really this sense in which that she really resembles the archetype of a traditional, classical kind of Chinese woman. Uh, so after I got to know her, I grew increasingly confident that I could do this, and I also developed a conviction that I must do a good job with this part uh, because of the respect that I have for the grandma. And once the production started, as we were filming the movie, uh, I could sense that there was somewhat of a gap between me and the real grandma. What I mean by this is that in real life, me, Zhao as a person, I am easily moved. I cry very easily, I laugh very easily, I'm a very approachable person. Uh, Lulu's grandma, on the other hand, you know, she's all of those things, but at the same time, she's also strong, she's very fierce, she's very independent, very opinionated, takes care of herself. Uh, whereas in real life, you know, sometimes when I smile, when I'm very nice to people, people think that I don't have any opinions about anything, I'm just like very easygoing. Whereas uh, Lulu's grandma, she really has a very strong personality. And so during the filming process, uh, Lulu would just constantly remind me that, you know, try to think about my grandma and be as close to that as possible. So that's something that I really, uh, deep down, really try to uh, keep close to my heart. And uh, in terms of this character overall, uh, because I actually haven't had a chance to watch the movie, believe it or not, uh, so in terms of how the directors uh, respond to my performance, how the audience have responded to my performance, I really have no idea. And sometimes I would wonder to myself, you know, did I do a good job or not? You know, was my performance okay? Uh, you know, do people think that I really resemble the grandma? Sometimes I wonder if the relatives themselves think that I resemble the grandma or not. Um, thankfully, uh, I have friends here in the U.S. and. Uh, uh, in the last year, they've sort of messaged me, sent me photos, sent me reviews, articles about the movie. So it seems like overall, you know, it, the movie turned out okay and my performance was well liked. Uh, one more thing I want to say is that during the whole rehearsal process, I just want to say that Lulu was just such a wonderful director. I think we had just, just a very uh, strong bond. There's a real sense of report and chemistry uh, between the two of us. And for me, I think what the movie taught me specifically is really this idea of love being over, uh, love being able to overcome everything and the importance of familial bond and the importance of love. And I think the last thing I would say is that another uh, strong impression that I had from this movie was just also the importance of women, uh, how women uh, in terms of uh, in personal life, in career, in workplace and so on, women are the protagonist, the protagonist, the main characters in their own story. And I think women, it's important for them to have that, to be able to assert that in their life. And I really saw that from Lulu herself because in real life, she's just such a kind, decent person and so steady, so level-headed and so dedicated uh, at the same time. And uh, just the fact that she's had the kind of success that she's had, it's well-deserved. I'm just so happy that she's uh, had a great success uh, with this film. That's so sweet. Yeah, tell her she has nothing to worry about. Her performance is amazing. Lou, I want to get back to the thread because uh, because we started talking about something else. But I but I wanted to finish the the, the journey to getting getting this made. Um, so after having many meetings with um, producers and other people who sounds like they just didn't get um, what the movie was supposed to be about, you decided to to talk about it on My American Life. Can you can you pick up that thread again and tell us what happened? Yes, um, I think that, you know, whenever you're trying to tell a story that maybe hasn't been told in the culture and from a perspective that hasn't been told before, um, it's always challenging because you're, you know, breaking barriers and ceilings and whatnot. And so um, it was challenging because there's this myth that like, you know, um, Asian American films don't work because who, who are they made for? You know, Asians don't go to support Asian American films and white Americans don't go out to see Asian American films. And then you add subtitles to that, it might as well be a foreign film. And so it's hard not to integrate those myths into your own um, perception when, as a storyteller. And so I think that I was just really scared um, that it wouldn't work. But then there was this other side of me that had no evidence but that, that just felt like the story would work. Um, but again, when you don't have the evidence for it, you just feel like, I'm, you know, who's going to believe me? And where is this feeling even coming from? And what right do I have to feel or believe this? Um, and This American Life really gave me that confidence because um, it wasn't about 
oh, this is a funny story. How do we dramatize it to make to to sell it to different markets? It was really about asking questions and interviewing people. Um, in my family that were involved in this experience, um, and it was a true exploration um, of of the events uh, around this, uh, you know, and the emotions. And I actually learned about my parents more. Like I learned, you know, how they were actually feeling because we weren't talking about it during that time. Um, and so then, when the story aired, um, I was very emotional because um, I suddenly realized that I'd never had such a pure storytelling experience before, and it's actually why I became a storyteller. But I had spent the last ten years chasing, you know. Being the result, which is to make a movie, to be a filmmaker, that I somehow lost that process, and I lost faith in my own voice, and um, tapping back into it through this American life, and you know the purity of knowing that talking into a microphone, that people would actually just hear my voice, they would hear my story untainted by you know the financing and by um, other people's perspectives of what is interesting, um, was life-changing you know and it gave me the confidence to well one I, th I thought well you know I shouldn't be a filmmaker if I can't do this kind of storytelling with film then it's the wrong medium for me if the industry doesn't want my voice here then you know why don't I go work in public radio and Neil and I have talked about this a lot like where do we you know have the most impact um, when in representation is important to us and and um, you know, diving into new perspectives. And so I actually started investigating potentially working in uh, for This American Life for public radio in general. Um, and during that time, you know, within that same week, um, the story aired on the radio and I immediately started getting phone calls from producers. And, um, and so that was really exciting, but at the same time, I think that I was able to approach it with a groundedness, like a like less of a desperation that I had felt previously because I was ready to leave. And I also was very grounded in what was important to me and that if I was going to do this, there was only one way to do it. And if I couldn't do it that way, then I'm not going to do it at all. And so it allowed me to set the parameters and the terms in which I was going to make this film. And only those who met, you know, my terms could partner with me. And I think so many of my friends, women, people of color, we've talked about that a lot because it's when you're so desperate to tell your story, to have a career, to get your voice out there, sometimes it's hard to stand firm on what those terms are to, to make you do it in the right way. And um, and so I'm just really grateful that the circumstances aligned so that I could, you know, both, you know, literally have the power to say no because I had so many producers interested, but it also gave me the internal strength um, to stand my ground. That's amazing because, I mean, so when you wrote the script, you... Um, you knew you were going to direct it. Like it was, it wasn't one of those things where you had to. I mean, we had um, Lorraine Scalfa, the director of Hustlers, here uh, mm -hmm. earlier this week, and she wrote the script for Hustlers, but had to wait and wait and wait to decide for the studio to decide uh, that she was going to direct it. Mm -hmm. um, Greta Gerwig had the same experience with um, with Little Women. She wrote it, but she didn't get the go ahead until until later. Um, so it's great that that you just from the beginning knew that that this was going to be yours. Yes, absolutely. And I um, it mostly became a director as a way to protect my writing. Um, and particularly with this story, you know, the tone that I was going to take in the directing, the camera work, you know, I knew that it wasn't going to be a traditional comedy or a traditional drama. And balancing that tone was going to be really important. Um, and so that was one of the stipulations when I was meeting with producers was that there was going to be no question that I was directing it and that I was going to cast it how I wanted to cast it and that um, I was not going to compromise on the percentage of Chinese language that was being used. Right, which is about 70. 
ish yeah something like that we haven't done the calculation but i know that in the in in the beginning there were these uh, conversations about like well what does broadcast television require and you know in order to count as not a foreign film and all of that and i just said you know these are just kind of these random rules and it doesn't make sense to tailor the storytelling to these old school rules of what is considered american and what is considered foreign because the world is changing it's such a conversation now mm -hmm. um, with what is being submitted for certain categories and and I, I think that's such an important thing to say. Um, so just sort of continuing um, that conversation um, as far as what is considered a foreign film and how things are categorized as we come up on awards season at the Oscars and the Golden Globes. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on sort of that? Yeah, sort? it's very interesting because I feel like, um, again, when you do a film that doesn't fit into boxes, it becomes sort of a controversy. And uh, it's interesting for someone to look at your life as a controversy, right? Because I'm like, wait, but I'm just me. Like, it's not my fault that my family speaks Chinese and that's how I'm representing it. And it's also not my fault that I'm American and I was raised here. And so I, there's a lot of Chinese that I don't understand. And so again, being caught in the middle, um, it's brought up all of these very interesting global questions of, uh, you know, what gets to be seen as an American film. So, for example, with uh, the Golden Globes, uh, they categorize it as foreign language versus foreign film. So anything that is foreign language is put into one category, um, which, you know, according to the rules, that's very fair because this is not, they're not saying this is a foreign film, they're saying it's foreign language. But that also means that I'm in a category with, uh, Bong Joon-ho, who was Korean, and you know, with a French film, with a, and so separated from filmmakers who are American. Uh, but then with you know the Academy, where they're saying you know it's international film, but we're um, not allowing films that are English language, then that means uh, like Nigerian submission of their film, which is in their native language, which happens to be English, English. Right, that's <laughs> also doesn't fit. And so it is interesting when you have an American film that's in a foreign language, and then you have a foreign film that's in the English language, you know? And, and so just looking at these two particular circumstances, um, how, how do you uh, categorize? I mean, for me, I've always seen The Farewell as an American film, regardless of the language and the rules around that. Um, and I do feel like, um, you know, that was really important even in my conversations with A24 because it's sort of the lifelong struggle for someone like me is to, to be seen as American. Um, and I know that I'm American even more now than ever because when I go back to China, I feel completely alienated. And, you know, when I show this film in China, a lot of people go, wait, wait why is this dramatic? This is what we do all the time, right? <laughs> and so then I But to Americans. Exactly. Yeah. And I started to think, actually, The Farewell would not exist as a story if it was not for the fact that I am American. That is actually the core of what the story is about, is that this is a, a, a woman who is now American and much of her family is Chinese and trying to reconcile that gap. Um, and so then to, to not, you know, have the conversation around the film as it's American. But anyhow, I think regardless of categories, it's an important conversation for everybody to be having. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what so many people are responding to in that film in America because there are so many immigrants and, and second generation Americans who sort who are living this right now and they're then being able to see a story like this on film is amazing. It's just it, it just sort of continues the fact that representation really is so important when it comes to things like this. Um, but that said, speaking of awards, this is the Awardist podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, should th there be a nomination for you, um, it would be history making because I think it's what the fifth or sixth um, woman of any um, ethnicity to be to be nominated for best director. I mean, that's just mind blowing in itself. Um, but how are you dealing with sort of all of this um, fanfare and buzz? And I mean, I can imagine it must be crazy. Um, yes, uh, I often think about what my mother says, um, which is that because she gets asked this question a lot, like, you must be so proud. And how are you feeling? And she says, you know, I'm your mother. The rest of the world will look at you and say, climb higher, climb higher. You know, go to the heavens as high as you can go. We're all rooting for you. But as your mother, the higher you go, 
all I can think is, please don't fall. And so I think that's very Chinese, <laughs> you know? And so I think I'm kind of fall somewhere in between that where part of me is of course honored and thrilled, but the other part of me is like, you know, I just don't want to fall. And I um, <laughs> want to, I mean, early in my career, you know, I need to find the grounding and the balance to continue to tell stories like this. And, and so um, what's important to me and how I've reconciled like all of the craziness around around the film is um, just recognizing how important it is to be part of the conversation. And it's not about the wins or the nominations or any of that, but um, you know, our film came out in January. It is a tiny film that no one thought that, you know, the myth around it was that nobody's gonna come see it because it's a niche film about Asian Americans when and now the reality is everyone is seeing it. it's going all over the world. And higher per screen average than the event. <laughs> there's that too. I love yeah. That. yeah. You know, the financial <laughs> success is meaningful because it is direct evidence now, like, you know, the next person who wants to tell their story instead of saying I have a feeling it's gonna work they have something to point to to say there's evidence that this can work and so I'm hoping that it makes um, financiers take more risks on stories that haven't been told and you know being at the at the table having a seat at the table with um, some of the you know major directors in Hollywood and having a different perspective and having you know young people be able to see that that there's different ways to look like a director and to come into story, that's the important part for me, and that's what is driving me this whole season to, you know, continue um, being part of it all. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to also direct the, the question here, um, Oscar Buzz question, um, because that's being talked about as well. Um, how, how does she feel about that? Does she even know that that's happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't even seen the film yet. <laughs> is it too much? <laughs> For me, the, the Academy Award, the Oscar, you know, that's pretty big and as an actor that's the highest honor that you can receive that's the highest award and for me the Oscar is almost like a sacred temple it's the holiest temple it's the highest award mm -hmm. so I guess right now my feeling is you know I'm longing for it I'm hoping for it and that's kind of where I am at right now <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, with, but the last question I'd I'd love to talk about Aquafina um, because I've seen her in her movies, I've seen her in her videos, and she's just such this outsized, awesome personality. And when I saw her in the farewell, I was just blown away because it was such a quiet, understated, beautiful performance, and like just her face and her eyes just communicated so much. I want to ask you what it was like to direct her. Um, what sort of um, what sort of direction you gave her, and um, and it just worked out so beautifully. I just want to know what the process was like. Oh, thank you so much. I am so proud of her um, because uh, you know, as soon as she read the script, she thought it this has to be mine. I have to do this. Um, but then she told me later she didn't really have uh, the evidence to back that because she had not done any. Uh, dramatic roles and didn't know that she could even pull it off and um, I'm you know I admire that quality of, of saying like I'll figure it out you know and she did and she sent me an audition tape and I thought she was tremendous and so um, on set you know I think what I saw in the audition tape was that she had everything she needed um, within her to play this role because she's experienced it you know, she's very close with her own Chinese grandmother and was raised by her Chinese grandmother. Um, and the idea of losing her is very personal for her. Um, and so it didn't take a lot of directing in the traditional sense of like tailoring the, um, the performance. In fact, what it, because she comes from comedy, it was more about um, getting her to not use comedy as a crutch. You know, it's almost a, a muscle that you use to deflect emotion, um, to dissipate tension. And both on screen as well as, you know, in uh, life. She grew up um, with her mother dying at a very young age, and so she realized that being funny was a way to make things light and, and bring joy to everybody. And for this character, and for, for this movie, um, she needed to actually channel all of the discomfort and, and carry that 
in her face and in her eyes. And so sometimes on, on set, if she um, would crack a joke or something, I would just have to remind her of that. And then once she tapped into that, once she realized um, the real discomfort she was feeling in China as a Chinese American um, who doesn't have a relationship there and isn't used to, you know, the lack of personal space and whatever the things are that you have to adjust to when you're in China. I just said, you know, all of this is working in your favor. So instead of um, seeing it as a disability, seeing it, you know, as your point of access. And um, and once she was able to realize that and really like tap into it, I felt like it gave her performance so much power. I mean, is there anything about her performance in particular that surprised you? Um, yeah, a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say it surprised me because I did know that she was able to do it, but I really love the moments where she still was able to bring the humor out. You know, in, in, a, in a way, I spent so much time sort of um, trying to avoid the comedy, at least the broad comedy, um, but because she's a naturally funny person and has a sense of humor, you you can't avoid it. And, and it still came out in a way that tonally fit for the film and that's not something that you, you can direct you know as a director it's it's you can direct people towards you know drama but in terms of comedic timing and those subtle little glances and and a shrug of the shoulder like it when she does it it's funny it's just you don't know why you can't explain it and so there's all of these little moments where um where she does have that sort of wry sense of humor whether it's just like um mom you know like a shrug or whatever um but also the level of emotions that she was able to reach in some of the scenes because she kept saying throughout the film she in typical Aquafina style would just be like Ooh, I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to cry you don't need me to cry right I'm not gonna be able to cry and I would be like calm it's okay and then we started rehearsing this one particular scene and like I was like, all right, we're just going to do a blocking rehearsal to figure out what the camera is. And she's like sobbing. And I was like, what happened to not being able to cry? And also, please save it. We're not, the cameras aren't rolling. Which like, scene was this? This is the one with the earring scene when she's on the floor oh, talking to yeah. her mom. Um, I love that scene. Yeah. And so I think she also surprised herself with how moved she was because she was just actually in that space and the feelings were, the emotions were real. Great. Thank you so much. We adore this film. I really appreciate you taking the time and... Good luck with everything. Thank you very so nice much. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much to Clarissa, uh, Lulu, Shujin for that conversation. You heard a little bit of that possibly a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, the foreign film or international film and the language issue. Um, but so much more um, to talk about with that film. Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't get stuck in just like the controversy pile and instead can really continue to shine as just an, a film and performances worth celebrating. Yeah, definitely. Thank you everyone for joining us for this week's Awardist. We will be back next Tuesday um, with more updates, more news, more interviews. We've talked to lots of great folks, so you'll continue to hear from various actors and directors. Um, thank you, David. Thank you, Shana. Thank you. Please remember, subscribe, rate, listen, tell us what you think, come find us. Um, but thank you all, as always, for joining us for the Awardist from EW. <laughs>